Alicia and I catch up tonight and we talk a lot about parenting during the pandemic, long COVID, the nursing shortage, burnout, and staff morale. One thing we talked about quite a bit was vaccination in kids and the looming approval by Health Canada. I think it's important to note that your feelings about this are valid, no matter what they are. You are allowed to believe in science, be pro-vaccination, can be choosing to vaccinate your kids, but still be hesitant. Ottawa Public Health has been a really good resource for me, and I find them personable and kind. If you aren't following them on Twitter, I highly recommend it, and feel free to reach out to ask them any questions you might have about all things health. Big Rig Brewery takes great pride in reinventing classic styles and crafting emerging ones using only quality ingredients. Be sure to visit their brewery in Canada at 103 Schneider Road for fresh pints, food, beers to go, brewery tours, and pinball. Visit their online shop at www.bigrigdelivery.ca for tasty beer mail, free local delivery in the Ottawa area, and free Ontario-wide delivery on orders $70 and up. Check out the description box for Beyond the Bedpan promo codes. Hey, cheers. Cheers. I've had a week. I didn't plan ahead. Until at like six o'clock, I was like, oh my God, there better be some wine in the house. (laughs) And there wasn't. There was like this one Rattler beer stuck in the back of the fridge, so... Oh, you're dry. I'm house is never dry. (laughs) Um, how was, I saw you went to, um, I don't know if I can say names and whatever, but so I saw you went to the farm on the weekend. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was good. It was Um, busy. Were the kids scared? Um, no, I feel like Saunders kind of dropped the ball a little bit. We were, because Reed, who's seven, remembers the Haunted Hayride. And he actually talks about it all the time. Like, remember when the guy with the chainsaw chased us <laughs> on the wagon? And so I was concerned he wouldn't want to go on it. And then he he was all for it. So we went on it. And it was like, there was nothing. It was the least haunted hayride in the world. They more or less, there was like no actors. There was like, it was like everything was turned off more or less. So it was actually really disappointing. Awesome. Besides that, we had a, yeah, besides that, we had a great time. We went to one too, and it was the opposite, I think, of what you went through. We were told it was going to be super kid appropriate and really calm. And it was yeah. <laughs> they were all crying. Oh my gosh. We had a terrible time. And we just thought, we all thought it was so funny, but yeah, yeah, it was definitely, it was more scary than um, my two and six-year-old would have liked. Right. Yeah. Arlo was a bit, and, and Arlo was kind of clinging to me on, on the hayride. Cause I think he had heard us all talking about it. Right. And then it was just, it was nothing. And we actually, we actually went through like the haunted house also and it was a little scary but we did well I I had to sit out of the haunted house because it was right after the hayride and the kids were losing it so I had a backpack just full of snacks and I just (laughs) out to all the kids there was the two boys because we have a like a family neighbor family that we hang out with pretty much constantly Mm -hmm. so they they went in with their two like my oldest and then their boy Mm-hmm. And I sat, sat out with the rest of them. And then there was uh, a fog maze. And oh. then I ended up going in with Ryan and then our, our neighbor, Andrew. And <laughs> it was terrifying. I was screaming and, but laughing, like it was fun, but none of the kids wanted to go in. We, we did a work event last night. Oh, um, that's right. That and it was my first, it was like an escape room type thing, only outdoors. And I was thinking, you know, it's not like, it's not scary. There's all these people here. Yes, it's dark, but I didn't actually expect to get scared. (laughs) And and they got us, they got us really good twice to the point that like the second time I jumped so hard that like I threw out my back. (laughs) 
you know you're getting too old when you can't get scared without hurting your back. That's so funny. Was yeah. that a good turnout? It was great. I like there was at least 70, 80 people there. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really good. And like a little bit of everybody, like nurses and RTs and, um, you know, pharmacists and the physio and a lot of the war clerks were there. Yeah, it was really, really good. That's amazing. So that is so good for staff morale Mm -hmm. because it's been so low, right? Can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's been, it's been a rough goal. <laughs> I think everywhere in the hospital and especially like, you know, this is just my home base in the ICU. So what I know, and it's definitely been a tough couple of years. I think, I think morale was a little bit low even before COVID started. So that's yeah. tough, right? When you're starting now at a low point already. Um, and honestly, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like everybody just put their head down and got through COVID, right. Got through the worst of it in the third wave. And now that it's kind of behind us is when everybody's kind of like head up looking around and starting to really feel how crappy things are. So, um, so yeah, we have had a couple of kind of outside of work events, which, have been nice. It's kind of just nice to hang out with, you know, colleagues outside of work and, and have see like a, faces. Yeah, have like a fun, relaxing time. And it's nice, you know, the the doctor who's organizing that. It's nice to know that someone's actually cares enough to like, you know, put the effort into organize these things for us. Like that's almost I feel like the most the more important thing is just knowing that someone's putting an effort into to try to do like what little can be done to make things better. Yeah. It's, it's such a great thing. And what an amazing turnout, 70 to 80 people. That's crazy. It was really, really good. I was really impressed. That's so nice. Oh, I wish I could have gone, but, uh, a, I don't, I don't do well leaving the house in the evening. I'm almost like hundred percent to cancel during the week. (laughs) Okay. Well, honestly, like I, I was off today. There's no way I would have went if I had to work today. Um, And I kept thinking that about some, I was like, gosh, these people have got to go to work tomorrow. Like um, we left because they were going to show a movie after kind of like the event was over. They were going to show a movie outside. And that was at like 930. They were starting the movie. And I was like, no, we're 930. Oh, we're going home. And even with that, I've been dragging my butt all day today because like I am such an early to bed person yeah me too but even being up till like 11 11 30 was too late for me I think twice this week we went to bed at 8 30 the kids were still up like playing around in their room and we were like we're going to bed. <laughs> uh, well the weather is changing and it's starting to feel like it's starting to feel like hibernation mode is coming Yep. That's one of my favorite modes, to be honest. (laughs) But yeah. And like to commit to something is hard for me. Like, I'm sure you you're going through the same thing, the the school system and the kids. It is a fucking nightmare for us. (laughs) Like, I think October, we've had three COVID tests. Yeah. um, Two for Liam, one for Nora. And Liam was last Monday and this Monday, and he was off oh. all week last week because he had a cough. So he wasn't allowed to go back till it was gone, even though he was negative. And then I drop him off at school, was it Monday or Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday at daycare. And uh, as soon as I put my bag down on my desk and start to make my coffee, my phone rings. Liam just threw up everywhere. You need to come get him and he needs another COVID test. And I was like, <laughs> oh, for throwing up even, eh? And just once, I was like, but like, what kind yeah. of throw up? Like, was he, <laughs> they were like, it doesn't matter. You have to come get him. There's a, well, yeah, I understand having to come and get him, but the COVID test for that kind of surprises me. Yeah. They said they, they told me what the tool was. Cause like, I never read it, you know, like yeah. if, uh, if he's sick, he stays home. If he's well, he goes to, to daycare. And because it was eight days since his last COVID test, he had to go get it again. Yeah, I feel like you have had it a little more rough um, this year with the COVID test. We've only, um, I'm trying to think now, actually, we've had one, we tested Arlo once, and it was one of those things we were, 
he kind of got sick on the Friday. And so we kept him home from daycare that day, but it was the weekend. So I was kind of like thinking, you know, if this is just a sniffle yeah, and he's feeling better by like, you know, Saturday, Sunday, I'm not, I'm just not going to take him to get tested. And I feel conflicted about that, but I feel like I just, you know, you have to manage the best you can. And sure enough, um, cause it was just a sniffle. And then sure enough, the next morning he was having a little cough. So I thought, well, that's two symptoms. I'm not going to ignore that. So we went, um, we were lucky that his test turned around pretty quickly. And then I think he was back to school on Tuesday and I'm so happy that there's been no issues with Reed so far. That's amazing. Yeah, He's in grade two. He's been, he hasn't gotten sick yet this school year. And there haven't been any like exposures or anything in his class. So, so far we're off to a good start this year. That's good. We've only had one exposure and it was the first day of school. Oh my God. Did like the excitement was 12 out of 10. We won mm-hmm. that radio show thing and a limo yeah. came and picked up the kids. It was our first day. I took, I took the day off our first day, just the two of us home alone. We had all these plans. And by like 9.30, the phone rings and it's Liam's daycare. There was a positive kid in his class. Wow. So we had to go pick him up and because he needed to get tested, we have to pick up the other two. And I just, my heart broke for them. I was like, how long has it been where you guys haven't been in school? And it's your first day back. It was such a, a epic entrance with that limo. And two hours later, we're picking you up. And like, of course that would happen to us. Like, I feel like we just have the worst luck. Mm. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I've just been, when school started this year, all I could think about was like, please let's just like make it through the year without another closure. And I, like, I know it's still early in the year, but I feel like I feel like we're going to make it. I feel like there's not going to be any like widespread closures and like, thank goodness because Reed did not. Well, it's funny, actually, Reed did really well with the online learning the first time. Like I, I I don't remember. It's all so fuzzy now, but (laughs) the first time they were online and then they went back to school and then they were online again. For the first time, he actually really liked it. And I was kind of like, boasting a little bit, just being like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, it's going really well. He loves it. Um, and then it was just the exact opposite when it, when school closed again and we were off for that big stretch, it was, it was terrible. He hated it. And I just felt like there was absolutely no like education happening right at all. Um, and, you know, thankfully he was in grade one last year. So it's not like I worry about his actual like academics, like it's grade one. Um, and he's a relatively strong reader and he's pretty good at math so I knew that it's not like he was going to be falling behind in those things but the poor kid was just so miserable yeah and that's the hardest part right like you don't want your kids to be to be miserable I felt so bad for the kids I like it was just awful for them and awful for parents I mean parents of all kinds but I don't know I just feel like Ryan and I both work outside the house yeah. So for us, it was really hard. And before, um, you know, my parents were vaccinated. Yeah. I had no choice. At one point, I was like, well, we need help. Like, I don't want to bring you guys in here, especially with me and Ryan both leaving the house every day and coming back, especially with what I was doing. But what it's what is what else am I supposed to do? It's that or an LOA or I have to quit. Yeah. Right. So, but I do feel for the people who had to work from home too, but to, uh, it was just so hard. Like I went for, um, for a doctor's appointment and the doctor knew, um, like knew what I did. And, uh, he goes, so how are you? And I just like sat on the, I felt so vulnerable. And so like, dim, like all of your dignity is gone. And I was like, I'm not okay. (laughs) And I just start crying. And he asks me all these questions, you know, like he's suddenly going through like the depression checklist. Yeah. And uh, he was like, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? And I was like, oh, uh, mostly impending doom. (laughs) What else is going to happen today? What's on the list? What bad news is coming today? And also I just can't wait to go back to bed tonight and think about all that again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I I think you need some medication. Yeah. 
yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> but it was, that was so hard having to juggle the two things. Yeah, it's, um, and I, we, you know, we were a little bit for, well, it's like fortunate and unfortunate. Um, my husband, Pete, he lost his job um, when COVID initially hit. It started out as just like a closure and then, you know, an extended leave. And then he was told he wasn't, there was no job for him uh, to come back to. And so in a way I felt actually kind of fortunate because he was home, right? He yeah. was suddenly a stay at home dad. And so when Reed was off, when they were off school and daycares were closed originally, he was home. Um, so at least I didn't have to worry about what to do with the kids originally. Yeah. Um, but that took a huge toll. Like I've, I've never seen my husband so miserable in the 15 oh. years that I've known him, right? Like over the year, it just really, really took a, a big toll on his mental health to the point where even though um, it was going to be risky to send Arlo back to daycare, um, we had, we, we made the choice to do it because Pete needed to get out of the house. Like he just, yeah. he just mentally couldn't handle being home um, in like that situation anymore. And thankfully he found a job. Um so yeah, it was kind of a double-edged sword because I was glad he was home to watch the kids. And, but then on the other hand, it was like really hard to see how, uh, how much of a struggle it was for him. And like what you said about your parents, that was, that actually at the beginning of COVID was my biggest fear was, was my unvaccinated 72 year old mother, yeah, um, you know, bringing that home to her was my biggest worry. And so, you know, thank goodness we got through all of that up until now without, without any exposures for her. And I do still, you know, I am, I am just so looking forward to <laughs> the kids getting vaccinated um, yeah. because it's still been the wild card. Right. And all of this is, and I know like, so two, two are two of yours over five. Yep. Uh, yeah. So my older two can get vaccinated and we will yeah. be first in line. I was, I was a little, I want to be clear. I'm very pro vaccination and I'm not yeah. vaccine hesitant at all, but, um, the flu shot is available now yes. and I want them to get that too. And I knew I heard, um, who was talking about it. I can't remember, but there was some talk about the kids who are 11 mm -hmm. are able to get their hep. What do they get at 11? Hep B, I think. Yeah. And then, so do they get their hep B? Mm. Or do they wait for COVID because the two have like, they, it just hasn't been that well studied if they interact. Yeah. And exactly. I was like, okay, so is that the same for the flu shot? Cause I have no idea, right? Like I haven't looked this stuff up. Yeah. Um, and then Ottawa public health actually reached out to me and said that there is um, no interactions and they're perfectly safe to get together. So that made me feel a lot better. That's good to know. We, um, I took Reed for a, a, his, a, a, an appointment yesterday with his pediatrician um and they offered him the flu shot <laughs> and I hadn't mentally prepared him for that and so when he was like no I was like okay <laughs> I'm not gonna fight you on this today so we just booked an appointment for the both of them to go in like a week and a half um but yes I'm assuming like I keep hearing that the that the that the vaccine for the kids could be approved any day now and um my close friend who works at public health, uh, her and I were just talking about it today. And she said they are like absolutely ready to like hit the ground running as soon as it's approved. So mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see what the, the interval is for them, like how spaced apart the two shots will be. And, you know, and the same thing, like I am all about vaccines, which is pretty obvious, but I'm not going to lie. Like I still feel nervous about, about getting him vaccinated. You know, like, and I think I felt nervous with my first shot and that, I think that's normal. I think it's normal to feel nervous about having a, first of all, a needle. And then also just this, you know, new vaccine. I think it's normal to feel nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, so whatever nerves I felt for myself are like even more so, cause it's your kid, right? It's like you're even more protective and you're even more worried. So absolutely. We will also be first in line, but I am a little bit just a little bit anxious about it. I know it'll be fine, but I, it's just one of those things, like as a mom, you can't help but worry a little bit. Right. And, and feeling that way is completely valid. And I think it's really important to touch on, we can be pro vaccination 
but yeah. we can also be not wary, but, but he- hesitant as well, but, you know, we're still going to do it, but it, it does make us a little bit nervous. And I think that's, that's a very normal reaction. And I think it'll be interesting because I do think that there are people out there that were happy to vaccinate themselves, but are going to have a harder time making that choice for their kid. And there's yeah. been a lot of talk about just like how to kind of overcome those, that hesitancy that's, that's a little bit different than it was for adults. So I hope that, you know, I hope the powers that be kind of deal with it in the right way and we get as many kids vaccinated as we can but yeah it's not (laughs) it's not going to be fun like I've been thinking about that too like all of these clinics that they're going to have you know I I I I did vaccinate for OPH um, for a little bit back in the spring for a couple months I was doing the vaccine clinics and right at the tail end of when I was doing that is when they had approved the 12 to 16 year olds. And so I did have a chance to vaccinate a couple of like 13, 13 year olds. And it's just totally different. It yeah. is so different giving a needle a shot to a, to a kid than to an adult, just the, your approach with them. And, you know, the way that you talk to them, obviously, like, it's just such a, it's a whole different ball game. And so Mm-hmm. You know, God bless all the nurses that are going to be going to be doing those clinics for the kids because it'll be um, it'll be tricky. I've heard they're uh, they're planning to go into the schools as well because it's a familiar environment. Uh, Part of me is like maybe it would be better if I wasn't there. Like, I mean, I I can be kind of a our our life is very hectic and there's a lot going on and I Nora my daughter is very scared to get the vaccine. She's been very um, COVID aware the whole time, you know, like we'll just go for a ride in the car, not even leave. And she comes home and washes her hands, you know, for the full two minutes, she's got a little timer, puts it on and um, she's nervous to get it. And I was like, you're just going to get it. Like, I'm just going to hold you down. You're just going to get it. We're not even going to talk about it. (laughs) I've really been, um, I've really been debating on how much to like talk about it and to kind of prep read for it because it, it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. And I don't want to just like spring it on him. But I also know that the more the earlier we talk about it, the more time he's going to have to like, stew about it and to to be worried. Um, He's really been struggling. And, you know, it's just I think it's just the pandemic. And I think being back to school is like, been as happy as he's been to be there they are like, they talk about germs. They talk about hand washing a lot. And like, that's good stuff that kids need to know. But I think some kids are a little sensitive yep. to all of that. And so we've been struggling, um, definitely with that, just with him being very like, you know, we went, when we went to, to Saunders there on the weekend and, you know, it was more, more people than he's been around in over a year. And I could see he was a little wary and he, at one point he asked me like, well, do you think there's like, you know, they were playing on a play structure and he's like, well, do you think there's like a lot of germs here? And like, that just breaks my heart Mm -hmm. that a seven-year-old is thinking about those things. Um, so it's a hard balance because, you know, I want him to be safe and obviously I want him to wash his hands when he should, but it's hard. It it can kind of tip over into being too much and they are so aware. And I, I definitely made the mistake of like listening to too much news in the beginning around him. You know what I mean? Like having like the news on listening to the radio and stuff, even in the car. Um, And I think, I think that was a bit of a mistake because I think some of it is just more than that little brain should have to deal with. It's so hard to know what to do. Right. And I don't, there's no right or wrong answers. This, Mm -hmm. it was the same here. The, The house was just, filled with COVID news and uh, probably a little bit less so now because I, I find things pretty stable. Wow. I, I don't feel as past it as I think people in the ICU do. Like I, I'm seeing it on the floors and I'm seeing a lot of long COVID, which also breaks my heart because these people oh. who are having long COVID symptoms now, they weren't in, uh, in the vaccination period. So mm-hmm. they didn't have it you know, they, they didn't have that protection. It wasn't a choice for them to not get vaccinated. It wasn't available to them yet. And some of the issues that some of them are dealing with, it's, it's just devastating. And oh, I just got goosebumps when you said long COVID actually, because I'm like, honestly, that is my new biggest fear. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
you know, I've read a couple sort of stories about people who've been suffering with that and it just sounds so horrendous. Yeah. I wasn't even aware that I wasn't even aware that there was anyone, you know, at, at the hospital that was dealing with that, but it's just, you know, it's one thing to get sick and I'm sure And I, what I have heard is that a lot of the people that end up with the sort of those long lasting symptoms had a relatively mild case. Some of them. Yeah. Right. And so you kind of count your chickens and think, Oh, thank goodness. You know, I got COVID, but I got through it. I didn't get that sick. I was one of the lucky ones. And then to be dealing with these terrible symptoms for months and months and months. It just sounds like, I just don't know mentally if I would ever be able to handle that. It's terrible. Well, and it's, it's their, their livelihood, right? Like they're, they're off work and they're not, you only have so much sick leave and you know, some of them have had to quit their jobs. If they have active jobs, they don't know if they're going to be able to go back and do it. And so I, I see the long COVID and then I'm also seeing the people come into the hospital, like an emerge and um, being admitted with symptoms and they haven't been tested. And then like, that was my day today. It was, I, I spent probably 75% of my day fighting with a, a team to get to test somebody and yeah. they really didn't want to do it. It was a service that's not very familiar and they probably see it as, Oh, it's not a big deal. Like they haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. And I was like, you know, we do a lot more invasive things to people. We put Foley catheters in them, IVs, NG tubes, uh, you know, all these things and, you know, give them, give them a little swab up their nose. They're going to be fine. Like just test them. Yeah. I really didn't want to do it. And, um, I'm pretty persuasive (laughs) and can be a little bit loud. And I, I just like dropped the professionalism act. And I was like, listen, that's enough you're going to put a lot of people at risk, just, just swab this person. And they did. So, but like, that's the type of stuff I'm seeing a lot of now. So I don't fully feel like it's behind me, but I think I also have to deal with these three kids constantly. One, one has a cough. Everyone has to stay home. I've got to pick them up from different spots. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, when do I ask my parents for help? Do I need them to be negative first? Of course, that's what we're doing. And that means we're staying off work. And I think that the kids being vaccinated is just going to be one thing off my plate because I think that they'll have to change the criteria. You know, like, I don't think I'll have to pick all three of them up if one yeah. gets the sniffles anymore. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be nice. Cause that would, that would make my life significantly easier. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do think that uh, people without small children, um, have had a bit of a luxury to start to, to start to move on where it's been a lot more disruptive for us. And I also think it's just like, everybody's going to kind of come out of this at their own pace, right? Like I, I still haven't eaten indoors. Um, and now that winter's coming, like, you know what I mean? Like patios are not really an option anymore. And I've been thinking a little bit about it. Like Pete's birthday is coming up and I was thinking, oh, like we should go out for dinner or something, but I don't know. It just still, it just still causes me like a a lot of anxiety. And I'd like to, I'd like to get past that. And I know the facts, right. I know that cases in Ottawa are relatively low and that we have like such a high vaccination rate in the city. So like logically, I know that there's probably very little risk in like going to a restaurant and eating indoors, but it's just like everybody's comfort level is different. And I'm not sure. I I, I just don't know how long it's going to take for my comfort level to get back to where I can just be like, all right, like, let's go, you know, like life yeah. as usual. Um, I'm definitely not there yet. But that's, it's, it's so important to mention that to normalize everybody being at a different comfort level and how that's okay not everyone has to move at the same pace. Like, and I find because I'm still very immersed in, in COVID and COVID patients, I, it helps me to talk about it Mm. um, and to debrief, if you will, and, and whatnot. And I guess that's kind of what this podcast is serving a little bit for me. Um, But there's also people who don't want to talk about it anymore. So kind of have to realize, you know, you got to pick and choose who you speak to and, respect that the fact that some other people are they can't talk about it anymore Mm -hmm. so that's that's tough as well so like at work I I never know where everybody stands so I I just kind of keep to myself and keep with my little my little group that I know really well and 
um, try and just leave everybody alone because there is a recognition that people are healing at their own pace. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm finding in the ICU, it's, um, like, it's interesting. Cause you know, like COVID does seem to be behind us. We, we are still getting the odd positive case, but it's kind of like, it's been one at a time for the last month or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that seems to be behind us, but then we're left with like, it, it, like, you know, regular ICU stuff, which is not fun anyways. Um, and so we're kind of just back to like the, the normal stress. And like I said earlier, I think it's just, everybody's running on empty. And so there's no recovery. Yeah, that's exactly it. It seems like we went from COVID crisis to like this really acute nursing shortage without like skipping a beat. And, and it's just not, it's not going well. I know that you know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, the nursing shortage has definitely existed in theory since I became a nurse like nine years ago, right? You always hear about the nursing shortage. But this is the first time where I feel like it's really affected where I work in such like a really serious way. Yeah. Um, You know, like we are just constantly short nurses. Um, the calls for overtime are just like nonstop and you can't like, I personally don't ever go in for overtime. I don't ever pick up shifts, um, between my ICU job and my teaching job. That's enough for me. And I don't, and like, that's one of the ways that I protect myself is like, I don't go in on my days off. Um, and I think a lot of people that normally do pick up a lot of OT like you can't pick up OT every day right like that's what they're needing right now and like who who can do that nobody can do that and when you're at work and it's so you're so short-staffed and you're working so hard and everything is so difficult like who wants to go in and do that when they don't absolutely have to like it's just yeah and there's so the money aspect for overtime I I want to talk about this a little bit because I've just recently experienced it so a little while ago, I got, I wasn't on the, the staffing app thing yet. It wasn't working. So it was like my line who was working, they texted me, can you come in? We're, we're really, really short. And I was like, yep, I, I can. Cause I want to, to keep my skills up and, you know, to, to keep my foot in the door in the, yeah. so I went in for six hours. And then a couple of weeks later, I went in for eight hours. And the difference that I made from those two hours was $20. Wow. Because of the amount of tax that you're taxed. It's so it's not actually worth it mm-hmm. to work more than than a certain amount of hours yeah. financially. Um yeah. and that's kind of what it comes down to for a lot of people is oh, well, okay, sure. well, it's I, I've already done one overtime shift. If I go in for two, I'm gonna mm-hmm. get taxed a ton of money and it's not really worth it. Mm-hmm. so they're not making it very appealing you don't get any incentives you know I, I taught a clinical at one hospital a rural hospital a long time ago and if you came in for overtime they paid for your meals for the day wow yeah and I was like well that makes a lot of sense I mean it was like a patient tray <laughs> but still, <laughs> like you're you're not having to make a lunch you're not having to buy a lunch uh-huh. you're, you're getting one there and you know we don't there, there's no you can have free parking today. Not even, you know, like there's, there's not a lot of incentive to do it other than to help your coworkers is probably the biggest one, but you have to also take care of yourself. That makes me really angry actually. So this whole idea that, and so, and like, cause I am, I am like management's worst nightmare as far as a part-time staff goes because I never ever pick up right they cannot (laughs) rely on me to fill the gaps it makes me really angry that nurses should have to feel like they need to go in to to save their coworkers, Mm -hmm. and absolutely like the you know people posting on on, you know, our sort of work social media page, our work Facebook page posting, you know, we're super short, we need help. It's like, yes, that people are going to feel bad and they're going to go in. And I just, it just makes me mad that it's left to us to, to, to properly staff the unit. 
Yeah. Right. Like it should not be up to us to help our coworkers and, you know, save them from a terrible shift and take the load off. Like it shouldn't be, it, that should just never fall on, on our feet. It should be, the unit should be properly and safely staffed by the powers that be, um, you know, and it, and it just like the thought that nurses have to go in because they feel guilty. It just makes me really angry. Yeah. It's, it's really sad, but there, how do you find, um, the shortage in your unit right now? Like, is it, is it consistently short? Yes. And that's the thing is like, we've had for certain, there's been times in the, like, obviously, like there's always times where, okay, there's a shift and we're, we're short and you think, well, geez, how did that happen? You know, sick calls, people being off suddenly and unexpectedly. So that, you know, that happens anywhere, I think. But the thing is like right now it's every shift (laughs) and we're going on months, right. Of it being like this. And so, and you know, there's, you know, there's often sort of an, an explanation for it while there's, you know, this many people are off right now, you know, with whatever, whatever reason they're unexpectedly off or, you know, oh, we've just hired a new group. They're just almost finished their orientation. We'll be stopped up soon. Right. That mm-hmm. those messages have been coming out for a couple months now. And here we are still very short to the point where, you know, every shift, it's just like a gong show. And we're a really, like, as you know, we're a really strong group and like, somehow you just get through the 12 hours and everybody is still safe and alive at the end of it. And, and like, that's kind of all you can ask for, but like the mental toll and the emotional toll and even the physical toll, like I came home from work the other day, just barely, like barely able to stand. Like I got into bed I just said, Pete, like, bring me dinner. (laughs) I'm not getting out of bed. Like I was so physically tired. Um, And then just like the, just, you know, knowing that like I'm off for a week right now, it's reading week um, for my students right now. And I purposefully did not pick up any shifts. I didn't switch into this week because I just knew that it would be so glorious to have seven days off. Yeah. And, (laughs) and just to know, like, just to not have that, feeling of like oh I have to go back to that short staffed situation like in a day or two right you're always it's you're always counting down to like when the next time you're back that's funny you said that I asked my manager on uh, Tuesday after the whole second COVID thing in the last two weeks I would I emailed her and I was like I'm I'm not gonna lie to you I'm, I'm not gonna call in sick and pretend that I have a cold and go get COVID tested. I'm not going to take an emergency leave. I can't, I need them all for my kids. Um, But like, I really need a mental health day where I'm just alone in my house with silence. And is there something you can do for me to give me that? (laughs) And I was, I was just really honest. I was like, I need a day alone at home where I'm not working from home because I have that luxury a little bit if I have to. Yeah. But I was like, I, I need a, I need a mental health day. And then I remembered remembrance days coming up and I do get a day where the kids are in school, but I just don't trust it. Cause I think someone will be sick and someone will be home. You can't count on it. Right. No. So she said she was going to look into it and get back to me. And I, I do think that she will look into it and get back to me, but, but like, what <laughs> is that? And also, but like, what does that say just about everything? <laughs> the system, like the healthcare system are like the fragility of our own mental health that you're just like, so desperate for one day, just one day. That's, that's what I want. And I, but I want it. I want to be alone. I don't want to take care of anyone. I want to sit on the couch and watch reality TV all day. What I'm noticing is nurses. um, You'd probably think the opposite. You would probably think they're, you know, running off their feet, snapping at you, Um, all of those things, but it's actually the complete opposite. I noticed the nurses have really rallied and they're really, really focusing on compassion when they're with the patient, but they're, they're just really aware. I think that their patient might not be getting as much attention as they should. And when they have the time, they -hmm. really are. And when they're communicating with me, because I, let's be honest, as a consult nurse, I could probably be seen as an annoyance to someone who's really busy. You know, I'm trying to book a time with you. I want to come see your patient. You're, you're going to plan your dressing and some of your day around me. 
and they're incredibly professional and kind and welcoming of me coming. So I kind of expected the opposite and I'm, I'm very pleasantly surprised that they're working so, so hard, but I don't see it being sustainable. Mm-hmm. And I think like, that that's the thing that like, I feel bad for nurses, obviously it really sucks, but patients are the ones that are really suffering, right? They're, they're receiving less quality care than they should for sure. And, you know, and you would think that because that, what, like that, like, if you think about like big picture, nursing shortage, less quality care for patients means patients are in hospital longer, right? Things are missed and things aren't done to the highest standard. And that ends up meaning like more longer length of stay for patients. And that costs somebody money that costs the hospital in the province money. Costs so, us money as taxpayers. It's yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, if, if like, yes, it's going to cost money to, it's going to cost a lot of money to, to have the amount of nurses that there should be, but in the end, I'm sure it'll save money. Yep. Absolutely. But no one's willing, no one, the government <laughs> is not willing to put the money forward for it. Yeah. The investment up front, right? Yeah. Like I, when you talked about retaining nurses, mm-hmm. what do you think the answer is right now like if if you were in charge if they're like alicia you are taking over for doug ford what's the answer taking away the cap on our salary absolutely i think is is one of the first answers Um, (laughs) because i think that's that's the thing that can be done immediately right yeah give us more money and at least we'll feel that more valued and more okay, we're working our butts off, but at least we're being appropriately compensated for it. Right. And feeling more respected than we are now. So money wouldn't solve everything, right? If I'm getting more money and work still sucks, well, work still sucks, but at least I'm getting more money, right? Like, (laughs) obviously I don't want it to suck at all, but more money would be better than the amount that we're getting now. Um, and not to say that like, we don't make good money, but we don't make what we should be making, which I think is the bigger issue. Um, and then just like the, you know, the working out ways for nurses to have better work-life balance, I think, you know, so whether that means being more accommodating to nurses schedules, um, allowing nurses to actually get vacation. This is a huge issue in my unit always has been and is really being brought up right now a lot as a way to retain nurses because the truth is is that nurses have like there's a lot of nursing jobs out there so nurses have their pit where they can go and work right now right Mm -hmm. if you come to work at my ICU you're not going to get summer vacation for 10 years (laughs) like that that's no fun right so um, yeah, things like that. And then also just, um, obviously this, like somehow dealing with this, the shortage so that you're not worked to the bone every shift and that you can actually feel as though you're doing a, like a, a decent job because you're not so overworked. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think a lot of it, like a lot of, there's a lot of tangible things, but I think also there's a lot of things that it's just like about making nurses feel supported and listened to. And, you know, just like, it's not, it's not rocket science, I don't think. Um, And, and, you know, like, I just read about, I just read a really shattering article a couple days ago, about the rates of nurse burnout, Mm -hmm. right? They just did another poll. And it's like something like, I can't remember the number, but it was over 60% of nurses saying that they're feeling burnt out, nurses saying that they just want to leave the professional together. And I've seen that, I've seen just recently a couple of people that I graduated school with, I've noticed like, you know, their posts on Facebook talking about just like totally leaving the profession, becoming some, doing something totally different. Um, Which when you think about how many options there are for nurses, right. You can do a lot of different jobs in nursing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you don't like it where you are now, there's like a lot of options to change. Um, so to leave nursing altogether, like is, is pretty dramatic. 
Yeah, it is. And that that's part of the reason why I'm doing this because I, I am meeting with nurses who work in completely different fields that you probably would never even think of. You know, I'm meeting with someone who is starting her own business mm-hmm. and I meet, and then she does consult work in the community. Yeah. And I'm meeting with someone who's opened up their own clinic and someone who works with maid. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to, instead of having nurses leave the profession, I'm trying to open their eyes of to maybe don't leave the profession, but what else can you do? Yeah. And don't be so scared of leaving one job to go to another. There yeah. was someone who talked to me today and she, she wanted to know about ICU. And I really, I really tried to sell it because I think she'd be great. And I, I love the work in ICU. I like, I like what we do. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, what if I'm not a good fit? And I was like, so then you leave, like <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not tied to somewhere. I, I love that about our generation and younger mm-hmm. is that we're, we're so not tied to something, you know, like if that doesn't suit me, I'm out of there. Yeah. And I don't think that's ever really been the case. Like you, you graduate, you get a job and you do that job until you die, (laughs) but you just don't have to do that. There's so much else that's out there. I saw this, um, this thing on one of the nurses I follow on Instagram and it said, no, you don't get to tell me that I'm not getting vacation. I tell you when I'm taking vacation because you rent my time. Yeah. I was like, Oh man, that's so badass. Like, imagine saying <laughs> that to your, to your manager. Yes, absolutely. Well, and that's just it, right? Like you can't get your summer vacation. Well, bye. Yeah. Right. I'll find another job when I get back. Um, it's interesting. I actually just had this conversation today with my best friend. <laughs> uh, we've been, we were talking about me going back to school because that's my, the master's is next on my list of things to do. Um, and I need to do it right for like to get to my end game um, in nursing. And I was telling her how I just I really have like a really strong loyalty and like commitment to the ICU. And I was saying, you know, I think that I would probably give up teaching when it when I go back to school so that I'm doing like ICU and 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 my master's at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um And like some of it's practical stuff. Like I'm a job share at the ICU, which is like, you know, everybody's dream. Um, And I, but I think more so it comes down to like, I feel like I've invested nine years of learning and, you know, growing in this position. And for some reason, I'm having a really hard time thinking that I would leave that. It just feels like I would be like, kind of like turning my back on just like all this, all the time that I've invested. Right. And you know, like critical care, you could be that you could be there a lifetime and not learn everything. Right. There's like, but, and what she said was like, but you're just gonna, you would leave, you would go somewhere else and learn something else. And you take a ton of what you already know with you. It's not like, you know, obviously a lot of what we do in nursing is transferable to other areas, but it's something I've been thinking a lot about lately is like, why am I so Um, like I could, and not that I think I'm going to be there forever (laughs) because I do want to be a nurse educator someday, maybe in the ICU, but it's just weird. I feel like it would take a lot for me to leave there. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily like loyalty to like, I love my work family and I am close with a lot of people there, but it's not even loyalty to like my work family. It's more just like this feeling that I've invested so much there that Mm -hmm. I don't want to just leave there. Yeah. I mean, I can speak to leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like not to like toot my own horn, but I, I think I'm really good at what I do because mm-hmm. of my ICU experience. I see every single patient that I have as a whole, yeah. and I find all kinds of shit that, you, <laughs> that the doctors yeah. haven't even thought of yeah. because I am putting the pieces together. Right. And yeah that that's my favorite part of the job. And I, I can't speak for anyone else on my team because they're all fantastic. They're all amazing. They all do a very good job, mm-hmm. but I feel like what makes me good at what I do is my in-depth knowledge of the things I've learned in ICU and how yeah. I can see something. And to, to some people, it might just look like, um, you know, whatever, a, a piece of necrotic tissue. But in the patient as a whole, hmm. You're I, seeing a could, I could right? potentially bring the fact that they have 
no arterial flow to their legs to the doctor's attention, you know? So there's, there's that part where you really do bring what you've learned there anywhere else you go. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about your, your teaching. Cause I, I have questions about how your students are doing in these times. Mm-hmm. This can't be easy. Yeah. So, so I'm a, I'm a clinical instructor for the college. So it's the, it's the collaborative program. Like it's a university program delivered through Algonquin. Um, it's my third, third year doing it. And so right now I'm teaching fourth year students. Um, but I also teach third year students in the winter. Um, and I had one, like I had my first, my first rotation, you know, whatever, September, three years ago, that was kind of COVID free. And then my second, my second placement was interrupted by COVID. Um, so I was with third year students and, you know, they just pulled the students. It was, it was when everything shut down, um, in the, at the very first and they pulled the students. Um, and so now the students that I have right now as fourth years, their entire clinical experience, right? It's a four-year program. They start clinicals in second year. So year two, year three, year four has, has all been affected um, by COVID. And the long story short of it is that they're, they're receiving half as much clinical time as, as they should be. So in every placement, they're there half as much as, as they would have been pre COVID. So for their six week placements, they're really only there for three weeks, which is six shifts, which is really only five shifts because they lose one shift to like an orientation day. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, they have half as much time on the floor. They are there every other week, which really makes a difference because you lose your confidence, especially when you're brand new, um, you need that consistency of being there every week to like build your, your confidence and like your skills and your knowledge. So they kind of come back after two weeks feeling very like fresh and, and like mm-hmm. they have, you know, they just are, it takes them, a, it takes them their first shift back to kind of get comfortable again. So they're just in this constant sort of cycle. Um, and then also like even their labs have been affected. Right. So I think it's starting to get a little bit more back to normal now, but last year they were having like zoom labs, (laughs) which if you've ever been a nursing student, you know, you can just imagine how practical it is to try to learn how to insert an IV over the computer, right? Like the simulation labs that they have at the college and the university are pretty great as far as like being able to practice things, you know, in a simulation environment. So they have, they've lost out on that as well. Um, and what I'm noticing is definitely like my expectations are, are way less, right? Like I don't expect them to, um, have all these skills and I don't expect them to be able to manage like, you know, very many patients. Like I just, I've had to, I just have dialed back my expectations. Um, and just trying to be just more understanding of the fact that they've had a really, really, really rough go. And it's really, I'm really curious to see how, you know, it's going to be the, for the next few years, what the, what the new grad nurses are going to, are going to be like, as far as like just their skills and their confidence, I think you know, skill. And this is what I tell them all the time is that you can learn skills. Like you will learn skills. There will come a time, a couple years into your career where, you know, if you never insert another Foley again, it'll be okay with you. Like (laughs) a thousand dressing changes, you know, you'll have had lots of experience inserting IVs. So, you know, those hard skills I think are the easiest to learn. Mm -hmm. It's more, you know, their confidence and their critical thinking and their time management and like their communication, it's all that stuff that is like bigger picture that I think is gonna, is gonna suffer. Um, and I think like what's true of anything, like the strong students will do well, right. They will manage. Okay. With half as much time, the weaker students are, will, will struggle. It'll be, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see, like, as they kind of hit the workforce um, at a time where we really need nurses, (laughs) um, it just means that they need more 
support. They need more support and help, you know, when they're, when they're starting work. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's been, it's been really interesting. Um, I really love teaching, but it's definitely made it more, it's definitely made it more difficult. And, you know, I remember so the, that first group that got pulled from the floor or like got pulled from the hospital, they just said, that's it. No more students. Um, I, I really agreed with that because I just thought like, why yeah. these people don't need to be at risk. Right. It wasn't to me, it wasn't about bringing risk into the hospital. It was more like, you know, no, nobody that doesn't need to be here shouldn't be here because we don't we should risk as few people as we can right and so I I really agree with them being pulled and then but and then I've also struggled now that they're back just with like the like the exposure and the risk before we were vaccinated and especially um so I know your kind of office your home base is on which is which is, uh, was the COVID unit, right? Last year. Yeah. And that's where I was teaching. And so here we had, and like, we never took care of COVID patients, but it was, you know, we're right there. We're right in the thick of it. And they were unvaccinated, these students, mm -hmm. when we had all been vaccinated. And I just thought like, oh, like, I just felt really terrible that they were being put in that place of risk. Um, but to like the student's credit, they wanted to be there. Do you know what I mean? And like, they've already got that attitude of like, no, this is what I'm going to do. Like, this is going to be my job. I know what I'm getting into. And like, they kind of were just happy for the experience. I want to touch on the legalities of that yeah. a little bit, because uh, some people listening might be like, well, why can't they, they go in or why weren't they vaccinated? The students, because um, I work for, for, I do placement coordination for students for the Wound and Ostomy Institute. Yeah. And even if you're an employee, you're not there as an, an employee, you're there as a student, therefore you're insured under the school, not under the hospital. So you can't actually go in. Like I had a student not that long ago who was actually an employee of our work. Yeah. And um, we went to see a, a COVID patient. I was like, you can't come in. And she was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, you, you can't come in. You're not here as an employee, you're here as a student. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you are not insured to take care of COVID patients, but it's actually safer if you know they have COVID. <laughs> you know, it's the people yeah. who who you don't know if they have it yet, who are symptomatic or, or about to be symptomatic the next day. And yes, we wear masks and we wear eye goggles, but we're not necessarily in, in contact precaution gear mm -hmm. and it, it does increase your risk. So just in case anyone's wondering, that's why students don't come in is because they're not insured for it. Um, one of the questions, so I got three questions for you, um, uh, but one of them was about your students. So where is it here? How do you keep this new generation of nurses inspired, optimistic, and not scared to enter such a turbulent workforce? I do talk about this with my students, actually. So and we just recently kind of discussed this in one of our like post conferences, one of our debriefs. I really try to be like, I try to be a good mix of sort of like optimistic, but also realistic. Um, and honestly, they're not, they're not naive. Like they seem to know and understand what they're getting into that this is, it's a difficult profession and it's a difficult time in that profession right now. So we talk a lot about burnout. Um, we talked about you know, just kind of like what you can do to set yourself up for success, knowing that you're getting into this difficult profession. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I just try to pass along what I believe to be true, which is the fact that, um, you know, it can be really hard and it can be frustrating and difficult and like all of those negative things, but it's also, it's also meaningful it's also important, right? Mm -hmm. um, my mom is always telling, my mom is always saying things like, why can't you just get an easier job? <laughs> and I always say like, mom, somebody has to do this, right? Somebody has to be there to take care of the people that need taking care of. And I think I'm good at that. So why, like, why, why not be me, right? 
Yeah. And that's true for these students too. Somebody, somebody has to do this job. And so if you just kind of go into it with sort of realistic expectations, knowing that the work that you're doing is really important and that you're going to make a difference in people's lives, um, then hopefully you can kind of try to like manage the negativity that comes with it. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I, someone does have to do it. Yeah. And I, I think of my parents a lot and I think I just, I want them, I want healthcare to be good for them. Yeah. I want them to grow older in a, you know, they immigrated here for a lot of reasons and healthcare was one of them. And where did they come from? From Scotland. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. They came, uh, they went to Australia first and then okay. went back to Scotland and then came here. <laughs> And the, the plan was always to go back to Australia, but they, they had me and never made it. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Yeah. So like they came. I would be there. angry at you, Christy. So they get to visit. They're okay with that. <laughs> the but the, the whole point was to come here for, for, it was between here and, and the States. Healthcare was better here. And so I, I feel a responsibility a little bit to try and make and, and get that for them, get that. I, I don't want them in the long-term care homes that we had during the first wave. You know, I, I can't even imagine what that was like. And so, yeah, I feel a responsibility too. Then the next one, you're active on Instagram and Twitter. What are your thoughts on social media and its role in misinformation? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, well, I think it's definitely an issue, right? And this is actually something that I've, I was thinking about the other day because like on, so let's take Twitter for instance, right? Instagram for me is more personal and I mostly am am like friends and family people that I personally know on Instagram, right? Whereas Twitter, I follow and am followed by a lot of people that I've never met in real life. And so what I, but what I notice is that I've definitely created like a little like bubble of like-minded people, right? (laughs) Because in my Twitter feed, I see a lot of people talking about getting their kids vaccinated and a lot of like right now, and a lot of people who are upset with Doug Ford and a lot of people who, you know, like it's all, a lot of it is echoing my own thoughts Mm -hmm. and Obviously that's because I, I, I followed the people that I sort of have commonalities with and, and have things in common with and who I tend to agree with. And so I was thinking the other day, like I, have I done this where I'm just like not exposed to like any sort of opposing views? You know what I mean? Cause I, I do think that that's important to at least to, to, to know and understand a little bit what people who disagree with you <laughs> might be thinking and feeling which like when it comes to vaccination, that's like a tricky topic. Right. But in, in about anything in life. Yeah. Um, and so I can see how people get caught up in, you know, I've, I've gotten caught up in my bubble on Twitter and I can see how people get caught up in their own bubbles where, and maybe those bubbles are not full of, of great facts. Right. And you just keep following people that are saying the same things that you're saying. And then it just kind of becomes this thing where you're, where you're kind of consumed with what could be absolutely not necessarily the truth. And I try really hard to like, if I'm going to like retweet something, I'll kind of go to that person's page. Like, who is this person? Right? Like what other <laughs> stuff have you been tweeting? Does it seem like they're like, legit or that they know that they're, they know what they're talking about because I don't want to like retweet something that is just from some like you know random person that has no credentials in this area like if it's healthcare related or something like that right so yeah, yeah I I really struggle like I I enjoy social media and I'm probably too much <laughs> and I def- like, I definitely struggle with the balance of it and I've been thinking a lot lately about how I need to find like a better balance because I waste a lot of time on Twitter <laughs> and it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard to like step away from it. I'm especially long before COVID I've been, I've always been a news junkie, like in my adult life. Um, like I listen to CBC radio 
instead of like hot 899, right? Like I'm like, I've always just been like a bit of a news junkie. And so with COVID it's really, it got to be too much because I consume news constantly. And all of a sudden the news is just like, it's just too negative and it's too overwhelming and it's too, it's too scary. Um, but I feel like what I, I feel like if I'm not on Twitter that I'm going to miss something. Like, I feel like I'm going to miss something important. And like, if I don't, if I don't know everything that's going on out there, like, how can I be in control of it? I think is what it like comes down to Um, (laughs) It's like my need for control. So yeah, it's a bit of a love hate relationship right now with social media because I, I do really love it, but I know that I need to probably find a little bit more balance. I do time blocking. So that's what I should do. Tell me You'll see, you'll see like a lot of my posts go out during the day, during the week, but I have an app and it pre-schedules because I, I'm sure there's people out there who's like, well, she wouldn't come see my patient today, but she just posted something. (laughs) Oh my God. I pre-schedule it. So it's, I'll sit down on a like Sunday night with, you know, summer house on or whatever and, um, schedule my, my, especially for the podcast. I'll, I'll do stuff like that for the week. Yes. So that's really nice if you want to, like, if you're doing what I'm doing, you want to release stuff on a regular basis. Yeah. But yeah, taking taking the time just once or twice a day is good. You you actually had to help me with my Twitter account. <laughs> Couldn't figure it out. So thank you for that. You have no, I down a it, rabbit hole. I do. I need to just find. I just need to say okay for the next like whatever two hours. You know, start small, <laughs> work my way up. <laughs> start with like half an hour. Um, and I just think, you know, I just sometimes think like there's just more useful things I could be doing with my time. It depends what you're using it for, you know, like if if you're promoting public health and wellness and and mental health, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, no, there's not, but there could be more like, there could be more valuable self-care going on probably. I I had a problem with, with Facebook though. And they're allowed, like, I didn't realize all the stuff they were allowing to happen and uh, you know, what they had contributed to with some hate, hate stuff. And Mm. part of me was like, I want to get like, I left every group I was a part of, except for the, like the ICU one that we have. I left every other group and I was like, it is, it's, it's kind of toxic. I don't know if I want to be in this group with yeah. everyone just so angry. There's something yeah. about Facebook where everyone's just so angry, yeah. but I get a lot of traffic for, for the podcast and my website off of my Facebook pages. So, and then my kids have messenger, so I can't get rid of my account because I'm in charge of their messenger. Yeah. So yeah. I just, uh, I turned off the app. You can get the apps, get them off your phone. Yeah. That's another way to get to get off of it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, my friend, we are well over time. Oh, good chat though. We need to schedule a second podcast. There's so part much two, Alicia, part two. Yes, there's so much <laughs> I might have to about. split this one in half. I wanted to, I really wanted us to talk more about our mental health. So I, I, so we should really consider another chat where we, you focus. know what? I think that's worth focus. dedicating a whole episode to. Okay. Okay, I'll see you later. It was really nice talking to you.